Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Meredith Goldstein. Meredith Goldstein Pattinson. Meredith Pattinson. Mrs. Robert and Meredith Pattinson. Sounds pretty great, right? Listen, I've never wanted to change my last name. I am a Goldstein forever. But when it comes to celebrity crushes, I'll confess to thinking about it. I am not alone. For many of us, including my coworker Kim, the name game started pretty young. When I was like a child, I somehow thought I would be the child bride of John Taylor, Kim Taylor for John Taylor and Duran Duran. And then when I was in high school, I was quite certain I would marry Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie. Not Mark. Donnie. No, you picked the right. You got it. I mean, listen, I, I hate to rank a Wahlberg, but I am. So there you go. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Welcome to season six. Boy, have I missed this and you. I hope you've had good company over the last few months. Sometimes it feels like we'll never go back to pre-pandemic normal, whatever normal was. And maybe that's okay in some ways. I think a lot of people are asking themselves, wait, what makes me happy now? What rules have I been following my whole life that don't actually benefit me at all? This season is all about throwing those rules out the window breaking those rules, doing things you aren't supposed to do. Like, haven't you been told a zillion absolutes about love and relationships? Such as, cheaters always cheat. Or, the first person someone dates after a long relationship must be the rebound. One rule that has never made sense to me is never go to bed angry. Who wants to work out a conflict when they're exhausted? Sleep on it, please. And then there's that classic rule that if you're in your mid-40s and own a cotton candy machine and call your sister too many times a day, you'll be single forever. Okay, maybe that last rule hasn't been told to everyone, just me. But you get my point. Sometimes rules are meant to be broken. So all this season, we're going to hear about how people have done just that. Stories about rule-breaking that changed people's lives for better or worse, but mostly better. I want to start with the story of a colleague— She's someone you've probably seen a lot of on TV. She's the Duran Duran fan you heard from at the start of the episode. My name is Kimberly Atkins Store. I am the senior opinion writer and columnist at the Boston Globe. I am 48 years old and I'm coming to you from my living room in my Washington, D.C. home, which I share with my husband, Greg Store. I met Kim when I first started writing for the Boston Globe in 2001. I was in my mid-twenties. She was a few years older and had already been a lawyer and had changed careers to do journalism. She was so smart, funny, dedicated to her work. Ever since those days covering local news together, I've watched her blossom. 
In those 20 years, she went on to work for many other media outlets. Like, sometimes I'd be at my desk, eating a sandwich, and there she was, on MSNBC. She returned to the Globe in 2020 as a columnist. Point being, Kim is a person whose name means a lot. And maybe that's why, when she recently did something very traditional-seeming, it felt like she was breaking this big rule. To understand all this, we first need to rewind a bit. Back to her Duran Duran days. Kim grew up in the suburbs north of Detroit. I am the sixth of six children, and my parents are still married. They've been married now for 64 years. My parents certainly presented the stereotypical nuclear family kind of structure, which certainly had a big impact on me. But that being said, most of my siblings have been divorced at least once. I got to see different things growing up and have different experiences. And both your parents share a same last name? They do. They do. My mom took my dad's last name and they got married in the 50s. They got married when my mom was 16 and my dad was 18. So I don't even think they even considered an alternative. I think it probably just happened automatically somehow back then when they got married. I knew that I wanted to be in a relationship. I pictured my life being in a relationship in some form. I always appreciated marriage. I think that marriage is great, that it is a great institution. I wasn't always sure it was for me. I also knew I never wanted children. Well, I'll put it this way. I, I didn't feel the urge to have children. I loved my nieces and nephews. I had a bunch. I've been an aunt since I was 18 months old. I realized very early in my 30s, I'm like, you know what? I don't want kids and that's okay. Kim meets someone in law school and they get serious. They do long distance and then live together, eventually landing in Washington, D.C. They're together for 13 years until they aren't. They break up in 2010. The relationship had not been great for a while, but it did end abruptly. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, (laughs) And then you're a single person in the world. Yeah. Almost 40. I just want to make it clear that, like, you don't have at that point just one job. Like, like you have like seven jobs. Like, can you characterize your work life and how much of your life life that took up at that point in your career? So part of the reason I had so many jobs is because I had to take on uh, more jobs just to be able to support myself comfortably uh, and take care of myself here in D.C. So at the time, I was working for the Lawyers Weekly papers covering the U.S. Supreme Court. And I took on a job uh, I had previously worked at the, uh, not just the Globe, but also the Herald. And so I called the editor of the Herald and sort of started doing freelance columns uh, on politics from here in D.C. as well. Then I became, I started doing cable news, Fox News, CNN, uh, MSNBC. How much were you dating during this time? I sort of felt like a dinosaur that had been dropped into a new world because I had never online dated. Like, I didn't have to. When I started dating my ex-boyfriend, there was no online date. And then suddenly people are like, oh, you know, I'll help you do your match profile or I'll help you get on OkCupid and stuff, you know. And so I did some of that. Always hated it. It was just so much time and emotional energy and it just wasn't suited for me. Most of the people who I went on, you know, more than a second date with tended to be people I met in real life. 
it was rough out there. I won't, I won't lie. It's not terribly easy for a professional woman in a place like Washington, D.C., who is over the age of 35 to try to date. Then in 2018, she runs into an old acquaintance, a man she knows through work. His name is Greg Storr. She'd first met him in 2007 when she was covering the Supreme Court for a weekly publication. He was covering the court, too, but as a more established reporter for Bloomberg News. For the most part, those other reporters didn't really pay a lot of attention to us, like, you know, second-tier scrubs in the back. But Greg was always really friendly, and I remember seeing him, and he introduced himself. And, you know, when I would come in, he would say, hi, Kim, and, you know, we'd chat a little bit. And he just seemed very friendly and nice. At that time, I was still living with my boyfriend. He was married. The only thought that we had about it was a nice professional acquaintance relationship. And it would be 11 years later before anything else would happen. So take me to 11 years later. April of 2018, I remember it was the night of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I was not actually at the dinner. I was covering it on MSNBC. So I was on TV, you know, in my dress, and we were looking at coverage of it. And at at one point, I did see him sitting at a table in his tuxedo, you know, um, and he messaged me and said, oh, if I'd known you were covering it on TV, I could have just stayed home and watched it. But you look very nice. And I told him, oh, I saw you in your tuxedo. You look very nice, too. And he said, you know, I've been meaning to ask if you wanted to you know, grab a drink sometime. And I said, oh, sure. So I actually took a screenshot of the conversation because afterwards I thought, wait, wait a minute. Did did Greg Starr just ask me out? Or did, you know, people you know, people you're like, oh, we should meet up for drinks sometimes. I wasn't sure. So I sent the exchange to my friend and it's like, was he asking me out out? And she's like, um, yeah, it really has been a long time, hasn't it? Yes, Dodo, he's asking you out. If I had known Greg Store like was an option, I might have asked him out before he asked me out because he's a great guy, he's cute, he's very smart. It just never occurred to me. So I was pleasantly surprised. So then what happens? So we went out on a date. It was funny. We had, speaking of all my jobs, we had a 45-minute window because I had to, I wanted to get the date in, but I was about to go out of town to China. And I wanted to get it in before I, before I left, but I only had a 45-minute window before I had to go do a TV hit. We ended up at Haleo, a tapas place. We got an, out, an outdoor table, which was very, it was a beautiful night. And yeah, we ordered some cheese. And I think he got a Moscow mule and I got a glass of wine. There's enough chemistry on that date that they squeeze a second one in before Kim leaves for China. She feels momentum. I was in my 40s. He was in his early 50s. We knew what we wanted. We knew what we didn't want. We'd had some relationships. We'd learned something about ourselves. He had two children who were, they were both high school age at the time. Now they're both in college. We both realized we didn't really want a casual thing. We were learning about the non-professional parts of our lives in a way that was really great. And after I did go to China and the trip, it was a work trip and it was terrible. Like I had a very difficult time and I was texting him about it throughout the whole time, thinking to myself too, it's like, oh my God, this guy's going to think I'm crazy because I keep texting him about how I got food poisoning and about how I, you know, I was a journalist in a communist country. So think about just about how comfortable that was. And 
you know, by the end of it, I was so done and so ready to come home that I bought the text feature on the plane on the way home so that I could text him because at the end, like I got profiled at Beijing airport in a way that felt very uncomfortable. And that by then I was just, I was like on the verge of a breakdown and I'm texting him. And there was like this two hour period that we were flying over Russia. So the texting went down. And then when I got other side, I was like, oh my God, I was over Russia and I couldn't, te- I couldn't keep texting you. And I'm thinking, he's, I'm a basket case. I'm a basket case. He's going to say, who is this woman that I went on a date with? This is a terrible mistake. But instead, even though I lived less than a mile from DCA National Airport and he lived maybe 45 minutes away or 35 minutes away from it. He was there to pick me up. Oh, I wanted you to say that. I wanted that to be the end of that story. But I didn't But I didn't want to say it out loud because I didn't want to disappoint myself. And I was not, he did not disappoint me. Yeah, he's a good one. I knew then that he was a good one. So Greg turns out to be such a good one that Kim decides to make a change. She breaks a rule surprising many of her peers, including me, It surprises her, too. I'll explain when we return. Okay, we're back. So Kim and Greg, reacquainted and now coupled, are ready to get serious. They're really into each other. In 2019, she meets his kids, who were 18 and 15 at the time. We met at Nat Stadium at a baseball game, which was really perfect. They had some friends there too. It was a Greg's daughter, Grace. Her softball team was the one. If anyone's been to Nat Stadium, you know the running of the presidents, the race that happens. And so they got to hold the finished tape that they run through. And so it was a fun day for them to be there. And he invited me. And so we hung out at Nat Stadium, which was really perfect. I got to see him dadding for the first time, you know, and then I got to meet the kids in a very low pressure environment. But they're wonderful. I could have met them anywhere and it would have been great. They're really wonderful kids. I know you said you were both serious, but it takes a little bit to make sure you can both be serious together. At what point did it become clear that you could be? I think it was after meeting the kids and seeing how um, how easy it was, you know. I didn't know. I had never dated someone with older children. I dated one person who had a, a child who was much younger and who didn't have custody of the child in any way, which actually is one reason why we broke up. I didn't like that. If I'm dating somebody who's a dad, I want him to be a dad. I want him to be engaged and and really an active parent in a way that Greg certainly is. But, you know, just being around them and it, having it be very natural. They talk about their mother in front of me all the time. and It's never a weirdness. And they were happy that their dad was seeing someone and they wanted him to be happy clearly. So I think once we knew that, then we were like, all right. Also, what happened pretty early on was we met each other's entire families at funerals for the other family. So very soon, maybe five, six months after we were dating, my sister passed away. And so I immediately flew to Detroit after that. And he was offering immediately to come out and join me. And I said, no, no, it's going to be a while before there's any service, but you don't have to come to that. And I came back. And of course, he came back with me 
to attend my sister's funeral. So I had been already sort of stressing a little bit about him meeting my family because my family is a, a colorful bunch. So I was kind of planning, you know, planning like maybe I'll introduce him to this sister first and then that one and then sort of like ease him into my parents and then don't. No, he landed in Detroit and literally met everyone, all of my surviving siblings, my parents, my aunt, cousins I haven't seen in 20 years, like all in one pop while also in a room where my sister was in an open casket and he was completely fine. I kept apologizing. I kept thinking, oh my God, this must be terrible. He's like, no, it's fine. I, I wanted to be here. And then maybe six months after that, his mom passed away. And the same thing. I, he has a sister who lives in the D.C. area and I had met her and I think I met one of his other sisters. But then I went to St. Louis and met his dad and his whole extended family in that trip. And then I sort of understood what he meant by saying it was fine. I just wanted to be there for him. And it, to any extent I could provide support, I was happy to do it. And I, I really wanted to do it. We started having conversations. I don't remember exactly when they started, but we started having direct conversations about whether we wanted to get married. And we realized that we both wanted to be married if it was right, you know, and yeah, we had a couple of rough patches. And you know, at one point we'd broken up for maybe a month and gotten back together. In 2020, on a trip, they start talking about wanting to be married. The plans start coming together. This is when Kim, who's 47 at this point, realizes something else. She also wants to become Kimberly Atkins Store. She wants to change her name. Sorry, Donnie Wahlberg, you missed your chance. I just sort of brought it up one day when we were having dinner. And I told him, you know, I was just thinking about what if I did take your name in some form? Like, how would you feel about that? And he's, you know, he said the obligatory, well, it's your name, it's your decision, whatever you want to do is fine. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, how do you feel about it? Like, if you would prefer I not, I want to know that. Or if you think that it would be a bad idea. And so he asked me why. And I gave him some of the reasons. And he not only was okay with it, I think he really, he, he said he appreciated where I was coming from. Well, let's go through some of those, like, what were the reasons at that point? Yeah, so the overriding reason for me was I love him. I really love his family. It's really being, becoming a part of his family would be a wonderful part of getting married to, to him. I knew that. And it would be a big change in my life. It would be an expansion of my life, expansion of my family, an expansion of my role. I'd be a stepmom. I'd be a daughter-in-law and a sister-in-law. And, and I thought reflecting that in my name would only make sense. It felt right. It, it felt like something that I wanted to do, which again, surprised. I can't underscore enough how much that surprised me. And even then I wasn't sure. I thought, oh, I can keep it Kimberly Atkins for professional reasons. And there are all sorts of choices there. Um, but I think I would want that. And then there are also other ancillary reasons. We are an interracial couple. And there are times when we go, you know, when we go to, we're in the checkout in the grocery store and either another cashier would try to wave me over or they'll 
try to put the the, the divider down, so figure out where they put it between us. And it's like, no, no, we're together. Like people just don't realize that we're together sometimes. We went to a restaurant with his two kids and the maitre d' looked at the three of them and said, table for three. And I'm like, no, four. And they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I don't attach a negative uh, intent to it, but people don't realize that we go together. And there are times that that could be difficult. If one of us, God forbid, were to be hospitalized, then I wouldn't want to walk around with my marriage certificate in my purse to prove to a hospital that I can actually see my husband if they don't recognize that I am his wife or that I'm just have to take my word for it and things like that. So that added an additional layer why I thought it was really important for us to share a name. So it isn't just one thing that makes Kim want to change her name. And she's clearly put a lot of thought into it. Kim and Greg get engaged just before Christmas 2020. They get married on May 28th, 2021 at a hotel in Georgetown. She posts a photo on Twitter of her small wedding, where she looks spectacular. I see these photos and cry, because I haven't talked to Kim in forever, but my God, does she look happy. She captions her Twitter post, The Stores. And I thought, okay, cool, cool. Maybe she's changing her name in her personal life, but not her professional life, because she's Kim Atkins. She's got thousands of stories and TV appearances under that name. But Kim changes her byline, too. She becomes Kimberly Atkins store everywhere. I'll admit I broke into a small sweat when I saw this. I have a ton of friends who've changed their names or combined names with a partner, but Kim Atkins is like this established brand. I have to admit, not thinking anything about her personal reasons for wanting this changed, my first thought was, you're going to take this man's name now? Apparently, I was not alone in this private reaction. In June, Kim writes a column to explain. Apparently, many people are freaking out about this choice to take her husband's last name because it's so traditional. The headline on her column is, Taking my husband's name is a feminist act. In the piece, she talks about agency, about how feminism at its heart is about women making their own choices. She has to remind everyone, and me too, that it should be up to her to make the rules. I didn't want to keep bouncing back and forth between being Kimberly Atkins and Kimberly Atkins store. And I do have a, you know, forward-facing career. And for all the reasons that I was really proud and thought it was important to have Greg's name as a part of my name, I wanted it to be that way fully. And that included my professional life. And I didn't think it would be that hard for people to pick up but at the same time, I was sort of bracing for people to say, oh, you, you're you changing your name? And I'm like, well, no, maybe people won't. It'll be fine. People understand. Oh, people totally brace. We're like, wait, you're, you, took, you took his name. It's unusual. It's unusual. I think it's unusual for, depending on age, but also it's unusual in the profession you're in, right? When your name is so emblematic, of, you know, like it's a byline, right? So talk about the column. So you decide, I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to, Hit this straight on and also make it a larger issue about what are we really saying when we look at a woman and say, you know, with one eyebrow raised, you took his name. I didn't feel a need to explain myself. I mean, it was really, you know, because I wanted to is the, is the answer. But I also wanted to push back on this idea that I somehow was 
had to give up my feminist card or I wasn't being, I was sort of playing into all of those awful stereotypical origins of changing one's name. It was the only time in my life that I was able to make the decision of what my name was, right? Uh, The rest of my names were all given to me. And this was the time that I got to decide. So this actually felt more empowering, not less empowering. I will say I was very happy. The vast majority of the response, the reaction I got to that column was really positive and supportive. But there were still um, several messages that I got that said, all right, you're just trying to have it both ways because that's you're doing something that is not decidedly not feminist and you're trying to claim that it's feminist. You know, you're, it's just an excuse. And I'm like, an excuse for what? Like, I don't have to explain myself to you in the first place. Like, an excuse to do what? You know, it, it really is about saying, I decided I wanted to do this. It wasn't my husband. It wasn't anybody else. It wasn't society. It was what was right for me. In some ways, I wonder whether actually being solidly in your 40s and having such a a life of of being with yourself, right? And in and out of relationships made it feel more secure to make a change like this without it having to mean that you like turned in a bunch of cards and and your identity. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it quite in that way before, but I think you're absolutely right. I think part of the reason that I probably would not have changed my name if I got married in my thirties would be, I would feel that I would have something to prove. I would have to prove I am feminist and I am modern and I am independent and look at me being independent with my own independent name. And now I'm like, well, yeah, I'm in the, I know I'm independent. I'm independent enough that I can do whatever I want to. So I actually think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that certainly having more confidence in oneself, knowing oneself better, being more secure in who I am made that decision easier to make. I will say that Kimberly Atkins store is an absolute powerhouse She's kicking ass as the inaugural columnist for The Emancipator, a new project from the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research and The Globe that reimagines the Black press of old. She's still on TV a lot and writes a ton of must-read columns. She's loving her personal life and thriving in the professional life she's worked so hard to build. Kimberly Atkins Store has more than earned the right to break all the rules she wants. One reaction that I got on Twitter that I just loved and that I still think about is, you know, the the reason of because I want to, because that has been so unavailable to Black women for so long, that's the most <laughs> feminist and best reason of all. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I was able to, this is one space that I was able to decide to do something just because I wanted to. Well, Kimberly Atkins store, thank you so much for sharing your story and congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. This was so much fun. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith does our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGorry and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. Love Letters is also an advice column. Send your questions to loveletters at boston.com. 
And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or online at loveletters.show. My last name is Atkins Door. Two names, no hyphen. It, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be Storkins. It was not <laughs> Storkins. No, I didn't go that route. I didn't create a new name. <laughs> I'm Meredith Goldstein, Pattinson. Thanks for listening.